They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. There is much to be said about sheep and gates and shepherds. That's not what we'll hear about this morning. Instead, I want to turn our attention, our focus on our reading from Acts 2. Because it's there, I think we find a little bit about what Jesus meant by life abundant. Our reading from Acts this morning, it starts with, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to eating and praying together. But who's the they? The they are the crowd of people that gathered around the disciples because of a violent wind, flaming tongues that came from heaven and rested on the people and hearing different languages spoken on Pentecost. Peter stood up to address this crowd and he gave his first sermon, which must have been a pretty good one because our reading from Acts last week said that 3,000 people were baptized and joined the community. Pastor Mark, has that ever happened on one of your sermons? No? Mine either. And I don't expect that to happen today, although that would be pretty miraculous. However, it's what happens next that's really impressive. These 3,000 people committed themselves to doing life together. They learned, ate, and prayed together. If you caught it, they shared all their possessions. They sold whatever they had, their homes, their land, and they gave money to anyone who had a need. Daily, every day, they shared meals together and celebrated all that God was doing. They had compassion and kindness toward one another. What a novel idea. And remember that these 3,000 people, they weren't from the same place. They didn't have the same background. They didn't think the same or have the same cultural practices or anything like that. They were strangers from over 14 different countries. I mean, undoubtedly, some were old and some were young, some wealthy, some not. The real miracle isn't that 3,000 people were baptized. It's that 3,000 people responded to the gift of grace by doing life together despite all their differences. That's the real miracle. I mean, with all of our divisions and divides and individualism of today, I can't fathom something like this happening for 30 people, let alone 3,000. And it's fair to wonder, 
are we given this description of the early disciples as a command? Is this some instruction for how you and I ought to live? If so, this picture painted of life together, it likely repels us more than it compels us for lots of reasons. Maybe when we were young and idealistic, we thought living such a way was possible, maybe even desirable. But now we have families. We're set in our ways. We're comfortable with our routines, our privacy, our preferences. And we recognize all of the sacrifices and accommodations and demands that this way of living would require. I mean, if we're honest, can you imagine living this way with your own family and your own home? We're far too busy with work and practices, lessons and games, recitals and more work. Who has time for daily meals together? Let alone prayers and teaching and fellowship. Moreover, I think another problem we run into is we don't trust people enough to live like this. Just a couple of weeks ago, Tom Orr in the Wired Word class discussed a poll from the Wall Street Journal. And it found that communal values, values such as religion and community involvement or having children, all of these values have significantly declined over the last 20 years. Reflecting on this, Paul David Brooks of the New York Times wrote, my fear is we've entered a distrust doom loop, is what he called it. People are so untrusting of their institutions and their neighbors that they're unwilling to reach out, to actively renew their communities, and so the dysfunction will continue and the distrust will increase and so on, and so on. But perhaps, the reason this picture of life together repels us most is because we feel convicted by it. Or at least, I do. Deep down, I know I should live more like this that I should share more meals, that I should open my home, give more money to meet the needs of my neighbors, to share what's mine with an open hand, to have goodwill toward all people. Maybe I'm not the only one who feels that way. However, and perhaps the good news of this passage is that I don't believe these verses are rules or specific instructions that we have to follow. It's not that if we live this way, Jesus will love us. If you notice in that reading, all of these people, all of those 3,000, they were baptized first. And then they lived that way. They received grace first. And then because of what they experienced, they committed to doing life together so that others could experience the same thing. 
This picture shows us what life through the power of the Spirit could be like. It represents the best of what God's people are capable of. But it doesn't last long. This early community, they defraud one another. They hold back their resources. They treat each other unfairly. And after Acts 5, just three chapters after the one we heard from today, the church is never described with such rosy language again. These verses, it's an idealized picture, but it's not meant to be a discouragement, but rather an inspiration. This is what life could look like. A life full of welcome and hospitality, of justice and service and community. Some intentional communities, they take these verses very seriously and they try to follow them to the letter. Places like the Bruderhof communities or Houses of Hospitality by the Catholic Worker Movement. They do this very thing. And while not the same, but very similar, at our best, we experience some of that life together here. We break bread together. We learn and celebrate together. We provide for each other's needs and the needs of our neighbors. Whether that's through a monthly mission focus, our food pantry, our support to Fondwa Haiti. We pray, we worship, we tell others about the God in whom we confess. And if you hear nothing else, this morning hear this. It's no accident that you are a part of this community in this time and place. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that you didn't choose to be here. You didn't choose to be a part of this church. But you'll say, Kogan, I tried all these other churches. I went to all these other places while I was looking for a place to be. And I intentionally chose Cross of Grace for X, Y, or Z reason. To which I would respond... That was the work of the Holy Spirit that led you here. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that led you to this place that made you say, I want to be a part of the body of Christ here. This is where I heard and still hear the good news of the gospel that I am forgiven and loved and that grace is mine no matter who I am, who I love, or what I've done. Now, to be sure, this isn't the only place where this sort of stuff, this kind of life together happens. It happens in other places too. And life together here isn't always ideal. Like those early followers, we mess up. We make mistakes. We don't always agree. But like Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his book, Life Together, even when sin and misunderstanding burden our life together, is not the sinning sibling still a sibling? Will not their sin or mine be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us live in the forgiving love of God? Thus, the the moment that I'm disappointed with my brother or sister or sibling, it becomes 
incomparably beneficial because it teaches me that neither of us can live by our own word or deed, but we are bound together in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. To me, what's so powerful about the life together for these early disciples is that they desired above all else to give of themselves so that others would be drawn in and experience the same grace they did. And what else does the love of Jesus feel like than a good meal with even better company? A celebration full of joy and festivity or having your needs met or your debt paid by someone else's sacrifice. And that's our call as a community, as a church. It's to live in such a way to do life together that it draws others in, that they experience the grace that we have. No strings attached. And so as we approach Commitment Sunday, more than any dollar amount you commit to, or any role you volunteer for, or any talent you share, commit to doing life together. As one writer puts it, God does not need your possessions and has never been impressed with your donation. God desires people. And God draws us into that wanting. So commit to showing up, to doing meals together, to trusting each other, to praying for and with your neighbor. Commit to providing for their needs. Above all else, commit to drawing other people in because you want them to experience the grace of Jesus just as you have. That is life abundant. Amen.